It doesn't matter. Go buy primers because that's going to be the, the most difficult thing to find if you ever had a without rule of law situation or some situation where you had to create your own ammunition. And you, it, the most difficult thing to find is always going to be the primers. Welcome to episode six of the Frugal Firearms Podcast, the podcast designed to help you, the shooter, get the most value for your money, get the most enjoyment, get the most pleasure, get the most product that you can possibly afford and bring it to the range, bring it out on the hunt, uh, show it to your friends, really enjoy shooting sports to the maximum for the investment that you're making. My co-host is Ken. Say hello, Ken. Hello, everyone listening in today. And today's topic is what, Ken? Uh, reloading on a frugal basis sort of a thing yeah uh today actually you know ken being my co-host actually is the guest as well because he's the expert in reloading and i am not so i'm going to play the part of the ignorant uh, interviewer and he's going to play the part of the subject matter expert everything we say here today though is we give our common disclaimer about you know you're responsible for any actions or decisions you take based on the content of our show uh, we're only representing our own opinions and nothing more than that. None of this is legal advice, but specifically today, consider safety uh, because reloading you know, can get you in a world of hurt if you do it wrong. So you know, always refer to the SAMI manuals, other reloading references, and plan accordingly. Plan to be safe, but also get the most out of your reloading experience. So Ken, you know what? Something we've never done for the listeners before, we've never really talked about you know, who we are and how we got into shooting. So why don't you do a little bit of, you know, kind of intro yourself and maybe I'll intro right. myself a little bit and then we'll get sure. into that. Sure. Um, I um, I was never really brought up with shooting um, with the with the exception of my, I had at my father who passed away when I was only three and a half years old. He was uh, primarily a duck hunter back on the East Coast. And uh, he had a lot of shotguns, a lot of side-by-side -side, uh, shotguns and so forth. My mom was 29 years old with three kids under the age of six when she was widowed. And um, she had his gun collection. What happened over time was, you know, she was concerned with two boys under the age of six. Inquisitive boys. We knew what guns were. We'd seen them on TV. Uh, very interested in them. Wanted to, you know, play with them and stuff. And no, couldn't do any of that. My mom had them all locked away. But over time, and the fact that she needed money, she ended up uh, selling uh, pretty much all of my dad's firearms collection, which has kind of always saddened me uh, over time. Uh, a lot of his side-by-sides went, went, went away, and um, there was only one firearm that was retained, which was the last firearm that was given to him by his father, my grandfather, which was a, uh, a Saco or Seiko Bixen uh, in 222 Remington. Very beautiful firearm. Uh, I'm fortunate to have it today. And it fires the 222, um, which if anybody knows, is also known as the triple deuce. It was an incredibly accurate bench uh, rifle, still is today. And it was the case and cartridge that was used for the 5.56 military. The 223 and the 5.56 military were based on the, on the 222 uh, Remington cartridge. It came out about 1950 or something like that. And 
that was used. So all the M16s and all those 223s, 5.56 ammo, and all your AR platforms, those all come uh, because of the uh, of the 222 Remington. And actually, the first ARs that were ever built by Armalite uh, were built in uh, 222 Remington. And I actually, about 35 years ago, had a chance of actually buying one of those. And idiot, I didn't do it. I should have per- picked up one of those early uh, AR uh, semi-autos uh, in 222 Remington would have been very interesting. So let me ask you a question based on that, because, um, you know, for our listeners, just background, Ken and I have a somewhat dis- different perspective on, on collecting, if you will, guns. You have a lot more than I do. And yeah. it is part of that last statement is that, you know, because of the regret, maybe sort of a FOMO thing, you know, fear of missing out that, now you are inclined to buy things that probably I would not be inclined to Oh, absolutely. To buy. I mean, over time, uh, I had the opportunity of, you know, talking to my uncles uh, who, who knew my dad. And, uh, and they would say, oh, you know, your dad had a 16-gauge side-by-side, uh, I think, Stevens or, or, or Sterlingworth or something. And um, I was like, Got to get a 16 gauge side by side. So I own a 16 gauge side by side, even though 16 gauge is kind of a, it's more unusual gauge by today's standards. It's not as popular, but it was. But that's, but that's a really good one to. I mean, not, not that we want to segue right this moment into talking about reloading, which is you know the, the central topic today. But that's probably one you would need to reload to be able to make it affordable to use. Yeah, to make it affordable, yeah. I mean, they do sell it. You, you can't find it at the big box stores, 16-gauge. It, it's still there because they made a ton of 16-gauge shotguns back in the early part of the, the uh, 20th century. And I think there are even still a few manufacturers that are chambering in that. They call it the Sweet 16. It, it's a gauge which is halfway between a, a 12-gauge and a 20-gauge. Uh, it, it had a lot more use back in the day because there were – there actually were probably more differences, but in today's loadings of both 20 gauge and 12 gauge, you can they pretty much overlap or they're very close to overlapping. So the 16 gauge kind of got squeezed out, but it's it's kind of a classic uh, classic gauge. And whenever I do take it out and shoot with it, it is a nostalgic piece for me, and I, and I really like that. So, and I've done that other things. He had um, a supermatic uh, semi-automatic 22 target pistol from High Standard, and that was sold off. And I acquired another one of those. And again, it's an original from about 1958 or 59. Beautiful pistol. I came with the original box of the one I got. Ultimately, the the one that you got that was, I think, to you the most important was was representative of what your dad carried in the war, right? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. My dad carried the uh, a BAR in Korea and got two bronze stars uh, for valor. Uh, with a with a BAR Browning automatic rifle model 1918, and of course since that's a generally speaking a fully automatic firearm uh, and can't be purchased here, um, they do make a variant called the Browning uh, BAR 1918A3, which is a semi-automatic firearm. It's basically made with a new receiver, but basically made on all original parts, original barrel, original stock. A lot of the a lot of the components, uh, bipod and so forth, are all original pieces that came off of either uh, mainly World War II and, and, and Korean uh, Korean War era type uh, things. And it's a semi-automatic 30-06, fires from a closed bolt. So it has much of the same feel as if you were watching Band of Brothers. Um, same firepower, basically, but semi-automatic. And uh, 
and closed bolt. It's actually super accurate, incredibly accurate. People are uh, floored by the accuracy of that rifle. It weighs 18 pounds unloaded and loaded. It's like 22 pounds. And that's it, part and, of the experience of having that gun, which is it's insane weight. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you have to you really you know, put your, you know, take your hat off to the people who carried that uh, firearm uh, in combat, both in World War II, actually started in World War One, and in World War Two, and of course in Korea, and actually was used all the way up through Vietnam. Um, and uh, you occasionally even see one showing up on the uh, on the news in the Philippines or something like that. It's, it's fascinating, sure. right? Yeah, I think by contrast, the difference with me. I mean, you, to tell you the truth, you were there as a friend right at the beginning of my gun experience. Ken and I, our, our first common interest was actually in cars, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was uh, preceded by years before guns. And I think at some point you said, you know, you should get into guns or something. I don't remember exactly what the what the tipping point for me was. Perhaps you do. I I don't happen to remember that. But all of my purchases have been sort of fulfill, to fulfill a sp- specific purpose or niche. So my collection is smaller because if I don't perceive that a gun doesn't do something different or better than another gun that I already have, then I don't buy it. So, you know, whereas my, I, my, my philosophy is different. I look at things and go, now that's a really weird and unusual design. I need and that. Fact, right. I need that to add to my collection because I mean, they didn't make very many of those. And that's a mm-hmm. really strange looking thing or the, you know, odd, odd action to it or something about it's different, very different that I'm intrigued by it. And I'll buy one sometimes too. And I did insert the word, quote, I need that deliberately because I, I've heard you say that any number of times. It's like, Ken, why do you need that? Like, and you know, the you question need, is always you been, need how, a roof how, over your head, you need food, you need water. Uh, things the like the that. question is this is yeah. how many firearms do you need? Oh, that's a very easy, easy question to answer. It's one or two more than I currently have. That's exactly. the answer to the answer to that question. And for anybody who's a collector, um, they you ask a collector, how many of those things do you need? And it's always one or two more than I have. I have a friend who collects bass guitars, and he has electric bass guitars. And I go, how many? He's got like 15 of them. How many do you need? He goes, I need one or two more than I have. Okay, everyone's a little different. There you go. Right. There you go. Yeah. So that leads us into the discussion, the primary discussion today, which is reloading and how you can be frugal. And and actually, you've you've touched on this before, Ken, uh, getting better results via the reloading route. And, and so what I want to talk about as the, you know, the person who doesn't reload, doesn't have reloading equipment, in, in all honesty, I'm not just, I'm not just playing the ignorant card here. I am ignorant. So uh, I'm going to ask questions that might seem a little elemental, but uh, I'm assuming that some of our, our listeners also don't have that background as well. So I'll start off just, you know, since we were talking history. So based on your firearms journey, what led you to reloading? Was it boredom or was it a need for a better round or was it a need to save money or something else? It was probably a need to save money and a need to be somewhat self-reliant, uh, not have to rely upon. Cause as I say, I got a, b- a bunch of unusual calibers and uh, it's very difficult to get factory loaded ammunition on some of these things. But I always tell people save your brass because your brass, can, most pieces of brass uh, can be re- reloaded anywhere from 10 to 30 or 40 times. It depends on the pressure and stuff. So a, a lot of it was, 
you know, I, I would get a certain amount of brass. And then from there, it would be, okay, I can reload that thing, you know, 10 times. So if you have 100 pieces of brass, and you can reload it 10 times. You really have 1,000 pieces you can go out and shoot, really, by the time you needed more stuff. And, and I didn't want to rely upon the, the supply chain because we've had runs on, runs on uh, various uh, ammunition things when we had uh, different presidential uh, uh, elections and so forth. There were, there's been runs on, on uh, ammunition and you couldn't get it. And the prices have gone up astronomically uh, from when you and I started shooting. Now, do you mean do you mean in reloading supplies or in 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 factory made ammunition? Or are you talking about both? I'm talking about both. But um, like historically, we used to be able to get a, a single round of 22 long rifle for about a penny a round. Now they're about ten cents a round. I mean, granted, we've been shooting for thirty plus years, but you know it's gone up dramatically. A primer, your typical rifle primer or pistol primer, they come in different sizes. There's small. There's small pistols. Small small rifle and then there's large pistol and large rifle there's, there are bunches of variations on it but i mean they were typically around two cents three cents a piece now they're typically around 12 cents a piece 10 12 cents a piece so sometimes less sometimes more depending on what it is but they've gone up significantly a pound of gunpowder used to routinely be about 20 bucks at the gun show about 20 21 22 dollars now Ranging anywhere from thirty-five to fifty dollars a pound, depending. And you've on looked the, recently. These are these are oh, yeah. relatively these are, recent prices. Yeah, relatively recent prices. Wow. Yeah. Now, so, is that because we're in California, or or would you say that well, that's partly that kind is of across because the board. we're in California? But I mean, yeah, you know, we're going to be somewhat skewed because we're out here on the left coast, and we we experience the prices that are out here on the left coast, which are higher, I grant you, than most of the other parts of the country. But nonetheless, um, and there have been runs on primers, for example. Primers were very, very difficult to get a hold of, and that included by the, by the ammunition manufacturers. Because surprisingly, some ammunition manufacturers making factory ammunition uh, don't make their own primers. And they rely upon mm. actually a fairly mm. small number, Remington, CCI. Yeah. Right. Uh, there, and then there are some overseas ones that come out there that from you know Europe and stuff. So primers were very difficult to get. get. And the first one, I first started getting into reloading, somebody said to me, he says, if you go to a gun show and you walk around, you bring you know, a couple hundred bucks with you or whatever you're going to spend and buy some stuff. He says, at the end of the show, if you got you know, 20 or 30, 40 bucks left in your pocket that you hadn't spent because you didn't find what you're looking for, go over and buy some primers. And I'd be like, but, you know, I'm not really even that into reloading yet. He goes, doesn't matter. Go buy primers because that's going to be the, the most difficult thing to find if you ever had a without rule of law situation or some situation where you had to create your own ammunition and you, it, the most difficult thing to find is always going to be the primers powder. You can, uh, you can burn all sorts of things. Heck you can make your own black powder in your house. You know, I mean, you, there's lots of YouTube videos on how to create black powder and that type of thing. So finding something to burn is not, that's the problem. Igniting it reliably with a primer is mm. the most single, most difficult thing. So, uh, I started collecting primers, you know, just as get a box here. And I used to buy them a box of a thousand, you know, and get a box of a thousand for like 25, 30 bucks. Now a box of a thousand running about a hundred bucks, you know, sort of a, a dime a piece. So but, what's uh, the economics? So let's, let's talk about, you know, when you're going to build this bullet mm -hmm. or round, I should say from the bullet, the primer, the powder and the case. Yep. 
four components that make up a cartridge chip. As as a function of a factory load, what mm-hmm. do you expect to spend as a percentage? Or, okay. do you, or, or, or is that the wrong argument? Is no, the, no, is, no, it, it varies. Now, say, for example, you were talking about making your own or reloading your own 9mm. Well, 9mm is the single most popular centerfire handgun cartridge in the world, okay? They make gazillions of them, right? You can buy a 1,000 rounds now for around 350 bucks uh, for a 1,000 or 35 cents a piece. That's the f- typical factory price even in California right now. And then that price had been higher and it's been coming down a little bit, which is good. But 35 cents. If you're going to be reloading 9 millimeter, the argument is I just want range ammo, plinking ammo, just to go and practice and stuff like that. It, it could be more of a hard sell to say, no, I'm going to reload my own. Just because of the amount of time you're going to be invested in and you've got to get the components and so forth. Uh, I mean, you might be able to make your own round for, let's say, Assuming you already had the brass, got to clean the brass, you know, clean up, put new powder, new primer. So uh, primer's going to run, you say, eight cents. Eight cents for a primer. Powder, you know, I don't know, that's probably 10 cents in there, saying up to 18 cents. And the bullet's going to cost you a dime. Uh, Depends on what, just a range bullet, not anything special. Maybe 11, 12 cents. So you're already up to, you know, pretty close to 30 cents, okay? But you can buy a factory-loaded piece of ammunition for like 35 cents. So if you're talking about 9 millimeter to reload, yes, I think you should be able to do it. Yes, I think you should have the components to do it at home. But can you make a case where you absolutely positively have to reload 9? No. Now you start talking the rifle cartridges uh, or some of the more unusual cartridges. You know, you got yourself a British 303 Enfield bolt-action rifle from you know, World War II, or you got yourself a, a 30-30 Winchester lever-action. Okay, now you're talking that those rounds of ammunition are costing factory-loaded ammunition or a dollar, sometimes $2 a round for some of those. Now you absolutely can make a, a much better financial decision reloading it yourself. Even some of like the 44 Magnums or the, uh, uh, some of the more unusual uh, handgun uh, cartridges, the economics of it are, are definitely there. Plus... And what you alluded to, Craig, earlier was the ability to create your own custom load. Because every firearm, if you had two identical firearms, two identical rifles that came off the factory, and you both took them to the range, and you started playing with the loads, the same exact rifle, same caliber, same barrel twist rate, everything's identical, two identical rifles. You take them to the range and begin shooting them next to each other, using loads that start differing by like a tenth of a grain or one grain of powder this way or that way, you'll find out that each rifle will have better accuracy on probably different loads. They'll be close, but they'll be different. So every Mm -hmm. firearm is slightly different. It's slightly different. The chambers are different. The barrels are different. It just, it's different. And if you're going to go for absolute accuracy, you're going to become a bench rest shooter or you're shooting for a hunting round where you you're going to take a 700 yard shot shot at a a bull moose you know or something like this you really want the the distance then you're going to want to reload and you're going to want to do it yourself and you're going to probably build specifically right onto that onto that rifle where that that cartridge may function in other firearms of the same caliber but it's going to function best in your particular rifle and that's where hand loading really comes in all right so let's talk about you know you've got me interested right 
So, yeah. but I'm going to rely on you, but not everyone has you as a resource. So for, for listeners who are interested in, in pursuing this because they see the benefit and they see the economics behind it. So kind of scale the investment here. If, if a person wants to, like you can start off with this, you know, a single station um, and you can, you know, move up to progressives and things like that. I mean, sure. how would you, I mean, assuming that, you know, again, this is the frugal firearms podcast and we're assuming that most of our listeners are going to not write the check for, you know, the best thing that they can find from the most expensive provider. Right how would you approach you know scaling up the investment and okay. the process the the entry level one i would probably start out with just to see if you like this buy 100 primers okay that's going to run you about 10 bucks okay you get 100 primers you probably get them down at a sporting goods store or something like that they sell them in packs of 100 500 and 1000 okay and 5000 actually too but you're probably just going to buy 100 and it's going to be a little tiny pack about 4 inches square and it's going to be 100 primers and make sure you get the proper ones. It'll be small pistol, you know, magnum pistol, large, large pistol, large rifle. Make sure you get the right one for the cartridge that you're going to try to reload. Great. Let's call it, uh, let's call it a dime a piece. You've hopefully been saving your brass, your range brass. You've been shooting at the range and picking that stuff up and saving it, which I would encourage everyone to save for several reasons. Uh, obviously, there most pieces of brass are worth anywhere from eight cents to you know or more, up to a dollar or more for some of the more unusual rounds. Um, so it's always save your brass, um, and you can trade the brass even if you're not a reloader. You go to a gun show with a whole bag full of thirty out six brass that's been once fired. You can walk up to a table and go, "Hey, um, I, I need some loaded ammunition, or can I, you know, some factory ammunition? Can I trade you some of these?" And most of the time, the guys behind the table will say, "Absolutely," because they know that reloaders are going to be there doing it. So, okay, you buy yourself a hundred primers, okay, ten bucks. I then go out and and uh, probably buy one pound of powder. Let's call it thirty bucks. And again, before you do any of this, you probably got to look up on a website or a book. You're going to come up with basically a recipe and you're going to pick one of the recipes that have been tried and true. There's they're on the website. Uh, Hornady Hodgson has some websites that do it and, and they basically have, I'm going to call them recipes for creating a loaded cartridge. Are those, are those reliable enough to not just from a performance perspective, but do they need to look at the, you know, the SAMI guidelines to say that the round is, is quote unquote safe based on the componentry, the, the oh, yeah. load and so on. I mean, is right. that, yeah, I mean, I would say that that would probably be at a minimum standard. You'd want to know that, that it has passed muster that way. Correct. I mean, you basically can, you're, whatever you reload, you never start at the maximum. Um, no, no, you always start not. at the minimum, way down, way down at the minimum. And you work your way up by a tenth of a grain or a grain, depending on the thing. Let me tell you a little bit about grains. Powder, modern powder, actually even old powder, but powder is measured in grains. It's one of those throwbacks to the English system prior to the metric system. And we have pounds instead of kilos and all the rest of stuff. So you buy a pound of powder. So how many grains are in a pound? That's an interesting question. Well, it's a seven thousandth of a, is it a seven thousandth of a, yes, right. Mm -hmm. It's one seven thousandth of a pound. And you're like, what, what drunkard picked (laughs) one seven thousandth of a, of a pound to equal a grain? Okay. I don't know who did it, but it was done 
you know, centuries ago, and it, that's what we we're stuck with. So, so I think, uh, it, I think it had an agricultural reference, didn't it? To like right. grains it, of rice. I mean, I read like a carrot is actually based on a seed. So it, yeah. it's, it's it's along those lines. I, I could anybody by now probably half our listeners have already pulled up Wikipedia and already have the answers. So right, yeah. they probably have the answers now. Yeah. Back in the day when we only had black powder, this is like prior to like you know year. 1900 okay when things mean a lot most firearms are still using black powder black powder was measured not by weight was measured volumetrically so they measured it by volume so black powder was measured by volume okay modern powders because the chemistry and the chemists have gotten really good at being able to get a lot of energy into a much lighter and smaller uh amount of powder that's not uh, modern powders are not measured volumetrically they are measured by grains by weight so it's very important that when you start reloading the single most important thing you have to do is to make sure that you have the proper weight of the powder of whatever the charge is that you're putting into it um and the differences can be stark. Like there's a particular powder that I like for reloading handgun ammunition for both 38 special, 357 Magnum, 9 millimeter, all of that stuff, which is a, um, called, called uh, tight group. Okay. All right. Well, tight group, I load, I reload um, like my 38 special in it. And a light load in 38 special is 2.7 grains. And uh, a heavier load would be like uh, 3.5 grains. So one pound of powder okay, at 3.5 grains would allow me to reload 2,000 rounds of 38 special. Mm. 2,000 rounds out of one single pound of powder. So you're like, wow, that, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. Nine millimeter you know, uses a little more powder because higher pressure and stuff like that. But since the chemistry is so good on the modern powders, it's absolutely critical that you don't overcharge or put too much powder in because you can literally grenade, turn it, turn your handgun into a hand grenade. And, yeah. and you can watch YouTube videos where people have put the wrong powder in. They thought they were putting in a, specific, a certain brand and a certain type of powder in there, and they picked the wrong one. All the powders burn at different rates. They have different expansions. They expand at a different rate because they are technically a propellant or a I guess you call them a class one explosive or whatever. They're not a high explosive. They're a low explosive. I think that that's the difference. But a powder is a propellant, really. And the propellants burn at different rates and expand at different rates. And it, it's absolutely critical. The single most important thing you, that you have to do in reloading is make sure that the weight is, is proper, which is why you usually want to get a really good scale. Now, they got scales that are little uh, mechanical tipping scales. They do work. Um, but uh, I would tend not to use a mechanical scale, although they do function. You can get one of these digital scales. Um, you can get them for 30 bucks or something on, on Amazon. Zillions of brands. They have test weights that you set on there. You put it on a little scale that says, oh, yeah, you're, you know, that's 10 grains or whatever it is. So you, you zero it out. You, you, you calibrate your scale every time before you use it, that type of thing. That all works great. So, um, again, uh, if, if, if you learn nothing else, the most important thing is, is that you have a, a good, I'm going to call it recipe for your reload, which means it, it's a certain caliber, it's a certain uh, type of primer, it's a certain exact certain type of powder, because powders are all very different. 
It's not just the weight of the powder. It's that you know that this is a tight group powder or this is a, there are probably 50 to 75 different powders that you can probably purchase. And whatever recipe that you've gotten from either a, a book or from a website, you have to stick with it and start very low on that scale, low amount of powder. And then if you need to work your way up, you can work your way up a little tiny bit at a time. But you'll learn that over time. Yeah, so. well, or you, you'll learn it one way or the other. What would you say uh, would be then as far as the reloading equipment? So now we've talked about, I mean, maybe we were, you know, beyond the scope of this show would be bullet choice because that has a lot to do with terminal ballistics and things like that sure. and, and the purpose of the round. And this could get three-dimensional very, very quickly. Right. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the actual reloading presses uh, you know, going from single stage all the way up through progressives. Initially, if a person were interested in getting into reloading and they're going to try it like a handgun or a rifle or loader or loading, and they want to go in totally cheaply, uh, there's something called a Lee loader, L-E-E loader, and they've been making these for decades. And this is, for a lot of people, their first way into, uh, into reloading. They actually don't require a press at all. You require a tap hammer, and that's about it. Uh, it's a little kit. They sell them on um, on Amazon. They're roughly around 40 bucks or so for whatever caliber you're looking for. And you can actually create reloadable, usable ammunition for about 40 bucks. And this is a is a kit that you can also, you know, wrap up and toss into your you know your backpack or something if you were going out into the forest. Uh, you can actually reload in the field with this as well without having to have have a lot. So the company Lee L E E. I actually have a huge amount of respect for, they are both a a budget entry level sort of a company, but they also have a ton of patents and they've been in it for a longer than probably most other reloading companies. And um, they make very quality stuff and I'm very happy about that. But I would consider going with a Lee loader at first and would probably send people off to YouTube and there are a bunch of uh, YouTube videos on how to use a Lee loader. It's a nice thing to have, even if you don't uh, like want to reload in the field or something like that. But it's a, it's a very tiny package. Thing comes in about a six inch by five inch by one inch thick little box. All you need is your primers, you need some powder, and you need your bullets. You're going to all be buying at the local sporting goods store. And um, a scale, of course, to most carefully measure the amount of powder and the exact type of powder you're going to be using because you've already gotten an approved recipe that you've gotten off the internet or something. So a lead loader is not a bad way for a person to start. But you also need dyes though, don't you? Because you have to get the seat depth. You don't need the lead loader. The lead loaders are are unique to each, um, to each caliber. Oh, okay. So So it's, it's essentially the dye is already built into the product. Okay. Yeah. So as you get into now, if you get into other, like a a traditional bench mounted press, then you're talking about dyes that, can be well obviously can expand geometrically according to your interest in 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 how you want how many different calibers you want and so on and so forth where would you say sort of the the wise investment is the next step up again i would stick with lee lee makes a bunch of very interesting tools that uh reloading tools that i think uh if you're just getting into it and you want to see if you like it or not or if you just think you want to be able to reload but only in the case of an emergency type of deal where you you want to know how to do it, but you don't necessarily want to do it every time. There are some uh, people who poo-poo Lee. Oh, you know, you only have Lee. 
But that's not true. These guys are really good at what they do. And to be honest with you, if all you ever owned in your life was Lee equipment, you'd be doing just great. There's no problem with it at all. So anyway, we talked about the Lee loader as kind of being entry-level one or a field, field, field reloading. And if it's something that I would consider buying, they're about $40 for a Lee loader. Get them probably used on, on eBay and stuff. They're making them for decades and decades. Uh, and it's a way to get into reloading, to try it out. You like it, you don't like it. I totally understand one way or the other. But it's also a nice thing to have in case uh, you can't find ammunition and you have the ability to create your own. That's always a possible thing. The next step up is another Lee product. Uh, it seems like I'm, I, we almost probably get Lee on the on the. I was going to say, I, yeah, I didn't know, I know this was going to turn into an advertisement for Lee. Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> I really like their stuff. Uh, the next step up is they have a hand press, which is kind of like this little, uh, looks like a kind of giant nutcracker type of a deal. And it lets you put in standard dies. And uh, a Lee hand press uh, is where you're actually going to step up to a set of dies. When you buy a set of uh, reloading dies, you buy them for a caliber specific, and they are precision machined. Oftentimes they have uh, you know high high speed steel and carbide components to it, and then it's the best way you can. It's the way you can get the absolute closest to a factory load than anything else is with with a set of uh, of actual dies. So and a set of dies will run you. Anywhere from fifty to seventy-five dollars, depending on the caliber type of deal. And there are oftentimes there are different types of dies, and we can go into that as well. There's full-length dies. There's there's a neck-only dies. You know, there's so there's a lot of variation there, and they're interesting. And we could we could talk about that for a while. But anyway, you're going to need a set well, of dies. Well, how much does it take to offset the cost? I mean, if you're talking seventy-five dollars just for a die for mm-hmm. one caliber. Then I guess well I'll let people do their own math about sure. that, that's a consideration where the it's return consider- on investment it's a consideration yeah so not only do you need the 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 primers the powder and the bullets okay those are gonna you're gonna need those anyway you're now gonna need okay you're gonna set up uh, get a set of dies okay let's let's call it um, fifty to sixty dollars okay let's call it sixty dollars for a set of really quality dies okay great and then you're gonna need some sort of a press and that's gonna be like a hand press which is going to be probably $75. Let's call it $75. Um, and so you start adding up those costs. And, yes, you're, you're thinking, well, gee, that's, that's a big investment. Yeah, you're, you're approaching, you're over 100 bucks now. You're probably getting closer to $200 for your investment. And what are you buying for that? Well, if you're just going to be doing range ammo, 9-millimeter stuff, may not be may not be uh, an investment you want to make. However... If it's something that you're going to sit there and go, well, I got kind of a more unusual, I got a 30-30, I got a centerfire or 308 or a 30-06 or a 270 or some uh, you know more unusual one, I, th- I think it's it becomes your investment at that point in time, your $200 investment becomes something where this is a good thing because you can then start uh, reloading your own and then making the, the custom ammunition that allows you to tune it specifically to your rifle for either a light load if you don't want to something to rip your shoulder off on some of these magnum rounds or you just want to, a plinking round something you just want to punch holes in paper with or whatever it might be it's the ability to create the exact one that you, the load that you want for your particular uh, handgun or rifle and also the fact that you now have the ability to create your own ammunition provided of course you have some commercially available components like the primers and the powder and the bullets. 
And, uh, you know, all of those things you can make yourself at home as well, but you're really getting mm, kind of an esoteric. The vast majority of reloaders never do any of that. Well, actually, but, but you know what? Someone does do that, that we, that we've been in contact with, um, not to be named right now, but there's a potential guest coming up on the show who reached out to us, who is interested in, he does exactly that. He makes his own ammunition, now sells it commercially. Yeah, it can absolutely be done. Um, so when you're making ammunition, you mentioned it commercially, when you're making ammunition, you're really making it for yourself, for your own consumption at this point in time, because if you mess it up, um, and you sell, you're selling it commercially and somebody, you give it, make it too hot a load or something like that. Somebody else puts it in their gun and blows it up and hurts themselves. Well, you're, you know, you've got a liability there, but reloading is, is really done primarily as an individual or maybe a family type of thing, somebody you trust, but, uh, mm -hmm. it's not something that you, 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 you should always be very concerned that if you're buying reloaded ammunition that you buy it from a reputable source or from somebody you know who makes reputable ammunition because so let's oh go ahead i'm sorry yeah no it, because you can't be making a hand grenade you can you it's done wrong with the wrong powder too much of it or whatever you you have a hand grenade in your hand literally so tell me now let's go to the other end of the scale someone you know says cool i'm i'm all in but i don't want to do the progressive investments of start with a single stage and then go up to a three stage and then so on, so on, right. so on. Uh, what do you get if you go right for the top end? Because, you know, maybe there's an efficiency argument there that I know I'm going to want to do this, but I'm not going to, like I mentioned before, use the reloading press as a substitute for going to the gym. And I'm not going to stand there <laughs> and do multiple swipes per round. So tell us about the progressive reloaders. Okay, at the high end of the scale that Craig's talking about is the progressive reloaders. And the and it, there are several manufacturers who make them, but many people consider Dillon to be the, the gold standard up there. And you're you're now in that fifteen hundred to three thousand dollar reloading press range. Um, for really, a oh, I yes. didn't know they were that much. Oh wow. yeah, I mean okay. yeah, they've got a, a stuff, some that are a little bit less, maybe around a grand. But when you start getting up there and you get automatic case feeders and automatic bullet feeders and priming stations and powder checkers that check and weigh the powder and, you know, it, it, you're now at a commercial thing. It's one pull of the handle, you're getting one round out. And that this is at the high end of the scale. So, yeah, you can spend, you know, three four $4,000 to get yourself completely set up on a, what's called, a, you know, a, a progressive uh, press. You know, it's great, great tool. But you really have to then say, is that the type of shooter I am? Am I really putting, you know, a thousand rounds down range every month that I need to come home and, and do it? Most people aren't. They're going to start frugally, shall we say. And they're going to start at that low end of the scale. And they'll advance. They'll move things up. Let me give you an example of this. One of the things that, that you want to do with your brass is uh, you want to clean it. Okay? So one of the first ways, I mean, you can clean it by tossing it into your into your, um, put it in a special bag and put it into your dishwasher and it cleans it up reasonably well. Uh, but in reality, most people, the first thing they do is they get a vibratory cleaner. They get a little, they start with Harbor Freight, they vibrate, the little containers, they vibrate. And you put in, uh, typically speaking, crushed um, walnut shells in, inside of it. And then you toss your brass into it 
and the thing just vibrates away for an hour or two and it just rubs all those little pieces of walnut shell all over your brass and it polishes them up and in an hour or two later you take that thing out and it looks gorgeous it looks beautiful it's, i mean it's polished brass just like somebody sat there and polished it amazing so when you do that that that's that's like one of the first things for cleaning a brass when you want to clean a hundred cases or maybe a maybe 200 cases of brass you've got to toss into your vibratory cleaner turn it on set the timer go watch a movie on tv come back in a couple hours and take them out and then they got to separate the, the media the cleaning media out from the the brass cases it's not a bad way to go a lot of people start there i started there i have a couple of uh, vibratory cleaners but after a while what you find out is the little tiny pieces of uh of walnut shell get themselves wedged in the primer hole oops and you after you punch the primer hole out so then you're you know i'm, I'm taking it up and looking down there with a the light behind it uh, and punching out with a little pin punching out the little pieces of uh, walnut shell that gets stuck in there it's not it's not necessarily bad it's just okay so what are your next steps up from there well then they have um liquid where uh, and and this is where i go over to franklin armory franklin armory makes another uh, bunch of really good tools that i consider to be frugal and uh it's another step up they have these uh, uh cleaners They've got two different sizes, and it's basically a little tiny bathtub. It's about the size of, size of, a, of a, what, a five-pound coffee can back in the day, you know, about a foot long and about eight inches in diameter, and it's totally uh, sealed. So you you put it in there, you add some, you fill it up with water, put your cases in there, add some dish soap, and typically a little bit of a, a lemon no, no, it's a lemon additive that they use for dishwashers to keep the spots away from your. your oh, dishes. oh, a, a rinse aid. Yeah, a rinse talking. aid. Yeah, yeah. Add a little of that in there, and a couple, a little capful of, uh, of you know, your favorite dishwashing stuff like that, and you put the whole thing in there along with the stainless steel media, these stainless steel pins that are about maybe. Uh, maybe a, a little less, a little more than a quarter inch long, and they're really little tiny things. They put about two and a half pounds of these little tiny pins. They're like they look exactly like, like pins that are about you know about a quarter inch long. You drop them in there along with your brass, and then you just turn this thing on, and it just turns and rotates constantly. Now the nice thing about it is it's quiet, whereas the vibratory cleaners you got to have the thing in the garage someplace because the thing's buzzing away, making noise mm -hmm. all the time. This thing, they're, they're quieter. They make noise, but it's pretty quiet. And then you come back in about an hour, and all of a sudden the water that was in there is just filthy, and you got to pour it, pour it out, you know, and maybe add some more water if it was really dirty and do it again for another hour or so. Uh, and then ultimately you got to pour the whole thing out, and then you got to separate it, separate all the pins out, which you can do. They've got separators, you know, for doing it. They're magnetic, too. You can pull them off with magnets and stuff like that. You rinse out all the brass. Brass comes out looking gorgeous. On the inside, on the outside, everywhere, and that's cleaning it with um, with these uh, water and, and pins. So if you start but, getting and, into reloading more. You do that, and I guess since you're not reloading steel cases, and maybe you right. should just make a quick mention of why. But you know the brass and the and the magnetic steel, you know that's maybe the best way to separate those. Correct. I mean, maybe yeah. not. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure about that if I think about it because if I have you know, 10,000 little quarter inch pins stuck to my magnet. I mean, how the <laughs> hell do I get them off my magnet? You know, unless it's an electromagnet that I can turn off and, and have them all dropped or something. I mean, yeah. that sounds painful. Well, generally speaking, 
nobody reloads steel case ammunition. Steel case ammunition, although it's popular, I mean, Tula makes it. It's a, a lot of the, a lot of stuff comes in from Russia and the Eastern Bloc. Probably, maybe not now during the Ukraine war, but it used to come in there. There's a lot of it out there. Steel cased ammunition is generally speaking fire once and walk away, and that's it. You know, just recycle it as steel, but it's not anything you're going to try to reload. Uh, also, I can talk about another thing about primer types. Oddly right. enough, I knew that was coming. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Primer types. There are really two types of primers in the uh, in the reloading world. There's something called boxer primed, and there's something called Burdan primed. Interestingly enough, if you go back and do the history on it, uh, Burdan primers were invented here in the United States during the Civil War, I believe, by a gentleman, uh, one of the uni- uh, Union officer, Burdan. And they are wildly popular in Europe. Uh, the other priming method that is used is boxer primed. And boxer primed, I believe, if you look it up, uh, were invented in, um, I think, uh, the UK, England. And they are wildly popular in the United States. So it's kind of interesting that the two different methods of priming cartridges, uh, one invented in the United States, popular in Europe, the other invented in Europe, popular in the United States. Uh, the advantage of, um, of boxer primed, if you ever get a piece of brass and you uh, that's been fired and the bullet's already gone, the powder's gone, you take a little flashlight and you look down inside the brass, inside the case. You look down all the way to the bottom of the case and you see a single hole down at the bottom that is boxer primed. And that's typically speaking probably 98% of all the reloading that you'll probably ever hear about being done in the United States, maybe 99% is going to be reloading boxer primed. The reason is it's very easy to take a single punch, go right down through the center of the cartridge, and then just push through the little primer hole, and it pops out the primer. Very easy to do. Yeah, whereas there's two holes that are not on center right? in the other. Right. In Burdan primed uh, brass, which you will see, and you'll, you'll see it, particularly if you collect brass at the range and it's on the ground, you pick it up, you flash your little flashlight down there, and you look down into the bottom of the case. Sometimes you see two holes. Sometimes you see three holes that are down off center. They're little, they're smaller holes. These are flash holes. This is where the, the primer would flash a little jet of, of a flame out to ignite the powder inside the case. Whereas in a boxer prime, you have a single hole. In a Burdan prime, you have two or three holes and they're off centered. And it's very difficult to reload Burdan primed brass. It can be done. There are special tools for it. Almost nobody does it. I only know one person who does it. And that's only because he has some very, very unusual um, piece of, pieces of brass that have not been manufactured in like almost 100 years. I mean, it's, it's very unusual stuff. And, and you can reload it. They do sell Burdan primers, but they're rare, very rare. You won't hardly ever see them. And frankly, they're almost not worth talking about in the United States because you're not going to – I would not recommend reloading uh, Burdan at all. Sure. And a lot, a lot of the Eastern Bloc stuff, the Eastern Bloc ammunition or the surplus ammunition you might come over, even if it's in an American caliber, like a 30 out 6 you look down, Craig, some of the 30 out that I, I think you've given me, I've looked down there, and it is Burdan Prime. And oh, really? Although oh, yeah. It's, okay. Although it's a nice piece of brass, 30 out 6 brass, probably not ever going to reload that piece. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, reminder to the listeners, too, even if you're not a reloader, uh, picking up your brass at the range. It, it's not only a good thing just to yeah. keep the range clean, but, you know, 
make a new friend who, who's a reloader and and give them that brass and maybe they'll reciprocate and give you some some made up rounds or I don't know buy you a six pack or whatever the case might be. So well, I guess you know finishing out here, uh, what would you say if you wanted to? Your, your was, average guy is probably not going to go for for the, the you know the six station you no. know automated reloader. He's probably not going to go for the Lee you know handheld you know one bowl at a time thing. Can you recommend maybe not by brand, but like you know where where's the kind of the compromise in the middle? Would you say that okay. most people like the best value proposition for most people to go to? Right, I would think that that you're going to need to get a budget probably to kind of get yourself into it somewhere between two and three hundred dollars mm-hmm. worth of, worth of equipment. Um, I do like uh, the Lee equipment, and I like uh, Franklin Armory equipment. Um, about Redding and others, there's other brands. Redding's beautiful stuff. Redding, Dillon, uh, RCBS, these are all mm-hmm. great stuff. I mean, fantastic quality stuff. A little bit higher end. Uh, and again, look for look for a lot of these things on, on your eBay or, or in your local Craigslist. You know, search for reloading and reloader. Uh, those two keywords, and occasionally you'll come across some fantastic deals on presses and on various things. So educate yourself. Take what I've said. Send us in some questions. I'd love to answer them. That's right. Um, and uh, you know, t- tell you what my thoughts are on various things. But there's a lot to learn, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. But again, the one single thing that I would say is know what your powder is, and be very careful about the weight of that powder. That is the single most important thing because that's the difference between having a, a a loaded cartridge and having a hand grenade. Right. And I think that maybe if we get one of the companies on like Hornaday you were mentioning or Barnes or one of the other companies to talk about the bullets themselves, then we can start talking about things like terminal ballistics and, oh, yeah. and perhaps the experience they've had. Uh, I've reached out to a few different companies, so we're looking forward to having those as guests in the future. And as a reminder to our guests, uh, our next couple shows uh, should have a couple different companies, you know, keeping a variety of topics here. But those will be coming up in the next few weeks. And anyone who wants to reach out to us, as, as Ken mentioned, uh, can do so at frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com uh, or drop us a uh, note on one of the social media, uh, either Instagram or uh, we're up on Twitter now as well, or Facebook, obviously hitting the, you know, the like subscribe and leaving comments is, is definitely welcome because it helps more people see the show. And by the way, thanks to the uh, new international listeners we have, we've got uh, people in, let's see, Belgium and Poland and Germany and Hong Kong and a few others, Canada that, that have joined the show. Uh, so that's very much appreciated as well. So what are the closing comments do you have for us, Ken? That, that was that was very informative, and I think it's going to be useful for a lot of people. Yeah, I look forward to it. I mean, there are a lot of nuances there that we could go into further. Um, just let us know what you like to hear, and, and we will try to tailor something uh, to talk to you all about. And if it's Sounds about reloading or something collecting, I'm your guy. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon, but you will definitely be hearing from us soon. Good night.